0: Let us go to the Lord in prayer again. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your hallowed presence. And I pray that You may be sanctified and reverenced in our own heart and mind as we continue in this worship. I thank You, Father, for men who have written good hymns in the past that still speak to the soul today. That's one of the reasons that the Psalms are so popular to the Christian, or at least I think so, because so often they speak to the heart of man. and express what we desire to say when so often we're lost for words. We thank You that even in prayer that we have a high priest that is seated at Your side that intercedes for us. And even when we know not how to pray as we ought, there's One that takes our requests and presents them before You in the sanctifying righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank You that occasionally that You bless, as it were, our cups to overflow. And we have sweet communion and fellowship with You. We read of men like Abraham... Jacob, who had the vision of the ladder, the angels ascending and descending upon it, and he had strength with you, even though he went the rest of his life with a limp. But we we read about the experiences of those men and Think, why can we not have such occasional experiences on an ongoing basis? But you only visited Jacob one time that way. And the same with other of the saints. It wasn't an everyday occurrence. And they too like we walk by faith. And so I pray, my Father, that You would bless us and bless us in this service. And even as we hope that it will be somewhat preparatory, as we partake of the Lord's Supper this afternoon, that there might be some communion and fellowship with you in a special way. We're not asking for dreams and visions. It may be just to be still and know that you're God. God. Sometimes we sit like the psalmist and we put, as it were, our hands over our mouth and keep it closed because Thou hast done it. There's no greater fellowship, as it were, to have a close friend or companion. And you don't have to always be talking and making noise to enjoy their fellowship. Just to be in their presence is a great delight. So help us to be mindful of the presence of the Lord and to know that He is with us. You have told us that when your people meet together that you're there. So help us to be mindful of that. And as much as we can to have a conscious reality of it. We're reminded of a man by the name of Robert Murray Machine many years ago that made the statement that he wanted to be as holy as a sinful man could. And we would desire, Father, to have fellowship with you as much as a sinful man can. And yet we must admit and confess that too often we still hang on to the things of this world, involved in uh, the things that are pleasing to the flesh, sometimes just wasting time with the entertainments of the world rather than being sanctified in Thy Word. Forgive us, Father, but bless us to have an anticipation and a a continual growth as we live out our lives upon this earth of fellowshipping you. For that is what communion is all about. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. fellowshipping our Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, been somewhat in a quandary all week, whether to continue on with 1 John or uh, go a different direction, though if I went in went on with 1 John, it would still remind us the verse that we're to take up of the fact of God's love toward us. And that is uh, quite rich in and of itself. Very likely, other than the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians that speaks of the resurrection, this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 might be uh, uh, a passage that I really uh, can appreciate. Uh, I hesitate, hesitate to say maybe uh, my most favorite because I've had people to ask me from time to time, what's your favorite verse or what's your favorite verses and so on? I just go blank. I, I really don't know. There, there's just so many that usually when somebody asks me that, I'll think of uh, several different things. And, and so I just wind up saying nothing most of the time. But we're going to center on verse 21 because it says so much with so few words. But I want to begin reading in verse fourteen to get some of the context. Second Corinthians five, beginning verse fourteen. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Does the love of Christ constrain you? What does the love of Christ? For you, to you, in you. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Without going into this, literally this reads, the all died, that is, uh, if one died for all, then... They all died, that is, they all died in Christ. That's what that verse is teaching, really, The uh, speaking about the penal substitution of Christ, His death for us. Verse 15, And that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them which died for them and rose again. I'm currently writing, and uh, some of them have already been published, but I'm also writing and I'm very much ahead on the doctrine of sanctification in my podcast. And (laughs) it seems like just every page Uh, there's something about sanctification in one way or the other. And this verse reminded me of that. In other words, that we should not henceforth live unto ourselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after, after the flesh, Yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Notice it said, and here's the sanctification coming through again, Notice it didn't say if any man be in Christ, he ought to be a new creature. Didn't say that he should live to be a new creature. It says that he is. He's a new creation. And I'll go on lest I stop and chase a rabbit or two there. Verse 18 And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Now whatever world that is, it's reconciled so it's not every human being because we know that not every human being was reconciled to god we know that revelation te- teaches us that there are some that are to be cast alive into the lake of fire and brimstone so there's some people that's going that are not reconciled So, whatever world is reconciled here is the world, whatever the world is, is reconciled to God, which obviously is the elect of God. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Now, beloved, we are going to be partaking of the bread and the wine. Later this day, and in that we are testifying uh, that God did not and does not impute our sins to us. That ought to cause you to rejoice. and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And here's our verse. For He, that is God, hath made Him, that is Christ, "...to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, legally constituted, the righteousness of God in Him." You are, beloved, righteous in Christ Jesus before God the Father. You say, well, I don't feel like it. It's not a matter of whether you feel like it. It's a matter of the fact that you are a believer in Christ and He has done that for you. And you need to... What's the word that I'm uh, looking for? You need to... uh, Embed that in your thinking without question as much as God will allow. (laughs) Of course, we all have our doubts and fears at various times, but in other words, believe it. Believe it. He has made us to be, He has made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. You know uh too often religious worship services today are nothing more than a a thing of entertainment. I listen from time to time when I'm traveling about uh to What's was called a Christian radio station. And more and more I hear songs that are of entertainment rather than honoring and glorifying to God. And occasionally some will bring up some of the old songs that are good, but after they have revised them with their modern music, uh, they're not even appealing to me. Uh, on Monday evenings, uh, some of us ministers get together uh, through Google Chat and have a, a Bible study. And uh, two or three times we've talked about how that uh, too many hymns today are uh, infected with the things of the world and how the old hymns uh, are just a whole lot better. Uh, I've gone through uh, four or five hymns the last uh, few years in my daily uh, worship and uh, currently going through Gatsby's hymnal. Uh, I don't know where I'm going next when I get through it. I'm almost through with it. But the songs are just so much different. They speak to the heart. They speak to the soul. And they're honoring to God. And if there's anything that I want to do for us today is to bring our thinking back, if it's not already there, I hope that it's there, though I've said many times that if we're not fellowshipping and in communion with the Lord uh, throughout the week, it's very likely we will not have much fellowship with Him in the Lord's Supper uh, in, in just a few minutes. In other words, we can't just sit down and eat a piece of bread and drink a little wine and all of a sudden we're just transformed. Early in my uh, Christian growth early uh, shortly after uh, my change i i used to think that there would be some type of uh, hocus pocus or some type of special feeling that i ought to get uh, in the lord's supper till i realized and, and understood that if we're not living in christ and christ living in us Then the Lord's Supper is just another, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just another service. Just another service. You say, well, what should we get out of the Lord's Supper? I don't know that you should get anything, it's like worship. It's not so much what you get out of it, it's what are you putting into it. You know, the, the concept of worship is the concept of a dog bowing down to his master. What does a dog get out of bowing down to his master? Maybe a pet on the head, but maybe nothing. What do we get when we bow down to our God? In other words, our love and devotion should be so much for God and the things of God that it is a privilege and an honor to bow before His presence. Well, why should I bow before Him? Because Christ was made sin for me. Christ was not a sinner. He was sinless. But he had a human body and a human soul. And he was born of a sinful woman. And yet he had no sin. He had no sin. He was sinless. He was sinless. But Christ was made sin. That is, He was legally constituted a sinner. He wasn't a sinner. He wasn't made a sinner. We need to keep that distinction. And I'm not going to preach a sermon on the uh, impeccability of Christ. Because, but what that simply means, as you know, He could not sin. He could not sin. He was God. But He had a human body. He had a human soul. And God legally constituted Him to be sin for us. So, How do you explain that? I don't know that I can. You know, too often we try to explain and simplify the the things of God and I think too often we lose the the impact of them in trying to do so. And you all have heard me go many times back to Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did He do that? We don't know. But He spoke something into existence that did not or was not there before. You say, explain it. I can't explain it. I've already explained all that God has told about it. He created the, the the heavens, he created the stars and the planets. But he tells us in Isaiah he created the earth to be inhabited. So I don't have to worry about is there life on other planets. Earth is inhabited. You say, what if they find life there someday? Well, God doesn't want me to worry about it. He said, I created the earth to be inhabited. That's what He wants me to know. That's what I'm to believe. That's what I'm to preach. And I'm just to leave it that way. But God set up Christ to take my sins and yours, beloved, if so be you, you are in Christ, our sins were legally constituted on the Lord Jesus Christ, and He bore the penalty of our sins." Now, I can can ask more questions and you can ask more questions about that. Did the blood that flowed from Christ when He was circumcised, did that blood pay for my sins? Or the blood that flowed from His... Brow in the garden of Gethsemane, did that blood pay for my sins, or was it the blood that came forth when he was beaten, or did he take blood into heaven? You know, all these questions can be asked that the scriptures doesn't say, and I'm not I'm, I'm not bringing those up in order to try to confound you or to cause you to uh, try to uh, learn what God doesn't want us to learn, what I want you to know and what I want you to focus on is that in in the mystery of God, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ paid for my sins and for yours. When I write about that, I normally just say the person and work of Christ, just to try to put it all together, because I don't know how to break it down and separate it. I think I uh, mentioned this here not long ago. You know, it's like God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Or it's like uh, our working out our salvation with fear and trembling and God working in us. Or us living a sanctified life by the Holy Spirit. Where does one start and the other stop? In other words, if I'm to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling for it's God that worketh in me, how can I say where I start and God stops? Or where God starts and I stop? and i've used the illustration uh making biscuits you take flour you take milk you take shortening uh you take baking soda, soda or baking powder or maybe eggs or whatever whatever all your ingredients are uh, i explained this one time in one of our bible studies <laughs> one of the preachers wrote said i don't put eggs in my biscuits <laughs> He was just uh, joking with me, you know, uh, but that's all right. But my point is, you mix all that together, and then you put it in heat. You cook it, and it makes biscuits. But where does the flour start and the milk stops? Where does the salt begin and the shortening stops? It's all put together. It's all together. The person and work of Christ. Theologians break it down to the passive work and the active work of Christ. And in other words, Him being put on the cross, that's His passive work. But his going to the cross was his active work, and his uh, obeying for us the active work. But God has left bread and wine to remind us that Christ was made sin for us. He didn't know sin. You remember in John 8, he said, Which of you convinced me of sin? Stood before his enemies and said, Show a sin in me. Prove that I've sinned. I wouldn't do that with my friends. much less my enemies. He was sinless. And yet, he took our sins upon him. He was made sin for us. He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he did that for you. He did that for me. He endured all that he endured because he loved me and gave himself for me he loved you and gave himself for you you haven't seen him yet you know you you, you could trace your family tree May I say back to the Revolutionary War. And you find that some of your ancestry fought in the Revolutionary War and gave you the freedom that you have. But when they gave their lives for you, they didn't have you in mind. They didn't know you. You weren't born. They might have said their descendants. They didn't know who their descendants were going to be. But beloved, Christ knew you. As Isaiah says, you were graven in the palms of His hand. You were not just a number. You were who you are. He died for Jimmy. He died for... Ruth, Mary, Sharon. He died for you. He had you in mind. You say, I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. Believe it. Believe it. And when you crush the bread between your teeth, realize and know that He too was crushed between the the law of God. And when you drink the wine, realize and know that He too poured out His blood for you. It talks about His blood being poured out, it talks about Him taking our blood into heaven, and theologians talk about all of that and how it How all of that happened. Uh, I don't know how it happens. I just preach it. He did it for you that you might be made the righteousness of God. He was legally constituted uh, to be sin for you, and you were legally and are legally constituted righteous. What did the psalmist say? Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute sin. You say, but I'm a sinner. But he says, I'm not going to impute sin to you. I deserve hell. Yes, but I'm not going to send you to hell. I don't deserve to have peace with God as I live out my life on this earth, a sinner. True, but He looks at you as righteous in Christ. And He gave you the Holy Spirit. And He fellowships you. How does He fellowship me? As you read and study His Word. As you live in the Word, and the Word's living in you, then you're living in Christ, and Christ is living in you. The Father is living in you, and you're living in the Father. So I ask you, are you living in Christ? And if you say, well, how do I know? Well, I just told you. Are you living in the Word, and is the Word living in you? If so, you know. This is the thing we've been emphasizing all through First John. I want you to know that when you look at the bread and look at the wine, and when you take the bread and take the wine, it has meaning and substance to you. Because you know that He died for you. He shed His blood for you. You're made the righteousness of God in Him. Christ did no sin. He knew no sin. Look in Hebrews chapter 4. You know the passage, but I read it anyway. Starting verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. We have a great high priest. He's in heaven. You say, where is that? Wherever he is. say is it localized it must be because his body is localized he's not floating on a cloud what does hebrews tell us abraham looked for a city which hath what foundations You say, are you saying there's a physical city up there somewhere? I believe so. Because Revelation tells me that the holy city comes down from God out of heaven. And the tabernacle of God dwells with man. You say, well, I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. Believe it. Believe it. John 14 says, "We have an abiding place. In my house, in my father's house are many mentioned, many abiding places. And yet, Romans 8 says that we are joint heirs with Christ. In other words, we inherit everything Christ inherits. And what did he inherit? the whole glory world? You say, well, you mean I'm going to be able to travel throughout the glory world? Very likely. Well, what's that going to be like? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But everything He inherits, I inherit. We're joint heirs. Joint heirs with Christ. I'm righteous. He's righteous. Well, Past, uh, John 4, uh, Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot... So you have double negatives there. That's bad English according to our modern grammar. But what that's saying is, we have a high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. There's no sin in Him. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't you glad we can go into the presence of God. Why is it, beloved, when you see your sins and realize you need to repent, why is it that you are not afraid to go to God and ask forgiveness? It's because you have a high priest and you can go boldly. You're not afraid, you're uninhibited. You don't have to wait till you get better. I like the the song that says uh, uh, if you're well, I'm not going to quote it right, but if you wait till, till you're better, you'll never come at all." If I wait till I get better before I go to the Lord, I am not going to get any better. My 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 betterness <laughs> I don't know if that's the word, but my betterness is in Christ, not in me. And because I am made cleansed by the blood of Christ, I can go before my Father. But he knew no sin. And yet he was made sin for us. That we might be made again the righteousness of God. Look at Romans chapter 5. We don't have time to go through all of the d- different verses here, but I just want to focus on verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, we were made legally constituted sinners. So by the obedience of one, that's Christ, shall many be made legally constituted righteous. You are at the same time not in the same relationship, but you are at the same time a sinner and righteous. You are a sinner in and of yourself. But in Christ Jesus, you are righteous. You're made legally constituted, made righteous. Made righteous. Beloved, if you get nothing else out of the message, I hope that when you see the blood, see the bread. And see the wine and partake of it, you think of these things. I cannot promise that you'll have any special feelings, or that God will allow your cup to overflow. But but if he does, that's icing on the cake. That's icing on the cake. Frankly, speaking of myself, I've always thought probably I would say, used to say, I've always felt that there's something lacking when I partake of the Lord's Supper, that I'm missing something. But I wonder maybe if I'm trying to get more than what God gives. I don't know. I have to leave that with Him. But beloved, if you're fellowshipping the Lord as you go about day after day, most likely you're going to continue fellowshipping Him the same way as you're partaking of the bread and the wine. We're not like the Catholics nor the Protestants that have some special something that these are sacramental and they bestow some measure of grace upon you. No, Your grace is found in Christ, not in the bread or the wine. Your grace is found in Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, You know how sinful we are and You know our constitution. And You know how we are prone to go from one extreme to the other. I would ask that you would bless us to partake of the lord's supper as you would have us to and bless us to get as much out of it as you would have us to You know each one of us individually. You know what we need. You know who we are. And bless us not to look for more than what's there, but help us to not lose out either. In reality, Father, I know not how to pray as I ought, but you know what I'm trying to say, and ask, I ask—I would ask that you would answer our petition to your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen.